I need to apologize for the tardiness of this uh, podcast. Uh, in case you were wondering if maybe I had been kidnapped by a bunch of radical United Methodists or um, maybe I'd been taken to the hospital or whatever. No, it was just technical difficulties, which I was able to, after a while, phone calls and being put on hold forever, you know how that is, got it figured out, okay? So I wanted to talk to you about my wife. My wife likes to put together jigsaw puzzles, and she doesn't like to do these 300 or 500-piece ones. She won't do anything for less than 1,000. And the one that she's currently working out, working on is 2,000 pieces. 2,000 pieces. Now we have a six-foot folding table and a normal-sized card table to hold all of the pieces. And been progressing pretty good. Started, well, almost two weeks ago, I guess now. But the picture is of an old-time candy shop. It's the name of it is called the Sweet Shop. And there's all these different colors of candy and suckers and gumdrops and stick candy and all that sort of stuff. And sometimes she's able to shame me into helping her. It's really not my thing. Um, but I've been working on this more than I normally do because I can get easily frustrated when I'm not finding pieces. You know, I can be looking and looking and looking and say, okay, I've had enough. Because after a while, they all start to look the same. There's only been a couple times when she's given up on a puzzle. Uh, there was one of this Italian village, like on the side of a, a bank, and all the houses were like this uh, adobe, and they all looked the same, and they all had umbrellas of different colors, and and she finally decided she was not going to work on that anymore. But it takes a lot of patience to be able to do that. And I wonder if the Lord is working on that fruit in me through jigsaw puzzles. Well, you know, our, our lives are like a many-piece jigsaw puzzle. Sometimes the pieces look like they're going to fit in, and we think we know you know, we're headed in the right direction. And God says, no, that doesn't go there. Okay, I'm not going to tell you where it goes, but it doesn't go there. But God doesn't get frustrated. He has endless patience with us. Praise his name. Let's pray. Father, I just give you thanks that you do have patience with me and with all of your children. And so, Lord, uh, help us to work harder at getting things right to spend more time in, in trying to figure out what it is your word is saying and what it means to us today, because it may mean something different next week. So Lord, open our ears, our hearts, our minds, and let your Holy Spirit work. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, I didn't plan on making this a series, but once I got started in the book of James, there's just too much good stuff to just kind of skim over and just sort of mention it in passing. So, I mean, there's probably a series just in the the first chapter. And so I 
did kind of skim over, I guess. But we're going to look at James chapter 2, verses 1 through 4. It says, My brothers and sisters, believers in our Lord Jesus Christ must not show favoritism. Now, no, just a note there. Yep, Christians showing favoritism? No, come on, James, you know better than that. Okay, he goes on. Suppose a man comes into your meeting place wearing a gold ring and fine clothes, and a poor man in filthy old clothes comes in. If you show special attention to the man wearing fine clothes and say, here's a good seat for you, but say to the poor man, you go stand over there, or you can sit on the floor by my feet. Have you not discriminated among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? And the answer to that is, yes, you have, and yes, we do. And you might be thinking, well, really? No way. When? Why? How does that happen? Well, looking at several places where I've served as pastor, when someone special came, they got treated differently. Okay, and by special, I mean if the district superintendent was to come. And of course, if the bishop came, that was a thing you had to plan a couple years in advance for. Or just somebody, you know, from your community, you know, a political figure of some kind, you know, the mayor or, you know, your local representative to the state government or whatever. Uh, and, and, you know, it's sad to say somebody that we know, you know, is really pretty well off financially, we may look at them and treat them a little bit differently. And there would almost be a competition with other churches in the area to, to lure them in. Now, highlighting the positive things of the church, you know, there's nothing wrong with that. But sometimes there's wrong reasons to do that. I know I've talked before about Bishop Kim a gentleman that came here from Korea. And in the United Methodist Hymnal, he has two hymns that he translated from Korean into English. And so I, I know that he had to get tired of hearing those hymns because every place he went, every church that he went to, they sang at least one, if not both of those hymns. So... Going along with this, sometimes we treat the poor differently. Some people just kind of ignore them or, you know, if this poor person or poor family comes up and maybe asks you a question about the church and you just kind of, yeah, no, and walk away. So we read this in Isaiah 39. Hezekiah, he'd been ill, okay, he was supposed to die, but he recovered. And Babylon's king's son, Marduk Baladain, sent letters to him and a gift. And in verse 2 it says, Hezekiah received the envoys gladly and showed them what was in his storehouses, the silver, the gold, the spices, the fine olive oil, his entire armory, and everything found among his treasures. There was nothing in his palace or in his kingdom that Hezekiah did not show them. Now, if the visitors had been from 
a lesser country. You know, Babylon was, you know, the thing at the time. But if they'd come from, you know, a little podunk country, well, they'd been treated the same. And if visitors hadn't sent a gift from the king's son, would they had been treated differently? Okay, we need to be careful how we treat everyone and judge no one. Now, remember from James 1.1 who he was writing to. Okay, it says, to the 12 tribes scattered among the nations. So, we're talking about people that should know better. Okay, in James 2, verses 5 through 7, it says, Listen, my dear brothers and sisters, has not God chosen those who are poor in the eyes of the world to be rich in faith and inherit the kingdom he promised to those who love him? But you have dishonored the poor. Is it not the rich who are exploiting you? Are they not the ones that are dragging you into court? Are they not the ones who are blaspheming the noble name of him to whom you belong? This is a great reminder to me and maybe to you. Because, you know, we see, we see homeless everywhere here. We saw more in Florida than here, but we still see a lot here. But, you know, there's many, but you kind of see the same ones at the same intersection. It's like, you know, they have a certain time that they're allowed to be at this intersection. But, you know, we can look at them and not think too highly of them. Okay, Time after time, we see them. And so I have a, a confession here. I find myself thinking, why don't you have a job? Driving down the street, there's sign after sign that says hiring. Occasionally, but seldom, I give them money. I know I talked about how there was one that said, you know, anything was good. And my wife gave him this really nice looking apple. You know, and she loves apples and she gave this apple to him. And later on, we, we see this guy going to the dumpster with a whole bunch of food that people had given him and other stuff. I don't know what was in bags and box, but he dumped all this stuff into the dumpster. Now, I know, I know it could be an angel that's standing out there day after day with their sign. Hebrews 13.2 says, Do not forget to show hospitality to strangers. For by doing so, some people have shown hospitality to angels without knowing it. And what James said about the rich. Okay, aren't they the ones giving you a hard time? You know, think about that. You know, a, a poor man really can't exploit you. A poor man can't afford lawyers to take you into court. But we know that anyone can and does blaspheme the Lord's name. Beginning in verse 8. If you really keep the royal law found in Scripture, love your neighbor as yourself, you are doing right. But if you show favoritism, 
You sin and are convicted by the law as lawbreakers. For whoever keeps the whole law and yet stumbles at just one point is guilty of breaking all of it. For he who said, You shall not commit adultery, also said, You shall not murder. So if you don't commit adultery, but you commit murder, you have become a lawbreaker. For whoever keeps the whole law and yet stumbles at just one point is guilty of breaking it all. That seems kind of harsh, doesn't it? You know, it seems like you know we need to get a little slack here for it. Well, I'm not going to argue with Jesus' brother. But this is what I think James was saying. Breaking the law goes against God's will. So if you break just one part of the law, you have violated God's will. Now, you may be familiar with Kirk Cameron. Okay, he was in the TV show Growing Pains for several years. And since he got out of acting, uh, in that line of work anyways, he's become a very outspoken Christian. Okay, I remember him doing a like a man-on-the-street thing where he would go up to someone and ask, are you a thief? And most times people would say, no. And so he would ask them, have you ever taken a pen or some paper from work? Have you ever gone shopping in a grocery store and you've got a, gotten a container of berries or grapes and as you're walking through the store, maybe eating a few of them? And obviously you couldn't pay for them. Have you paid less for something because it didn't ring up right at the register? And the answer is usually, yeah. Well, then he would say, then you're a thief. James point out, points out that we don't need to do something big to be guilty. Verses 12 and 13. Speak and act as those who are going to be judged by the law that gives freedom, because judgment without mercy will be shown to anyone who has not been merciful. Mercy triumphs over judgment. Okay, judgment without mercy. Man, I do not want to go there. Okay, I don't want to be judged by the Lord if he isn't going to show me mercy, because I certainly need it. So what do those three words mean, judgment without mercy? It means that I'm going to answer for everything, everything that I've ever done wrong. You know, back when I was a little kid and I stole a pack of gum or a candy bar or whatever it was, and, you know, I, I don't even want to go into everything that I had done and you wouldn't either. But it also says that we'll not be shown mercy if we have not shown mercy to others. It's kind of like what goes around comes around. Some people would call that karma. As believers, we shouldn't. But it's more like do to others as you would have them do to you. The message puts Luke 6.31 like this. Here's a simple rule of thumb for behavior. Ask yourself what you want people to do for you. 
then grab the initiative and do it for them. Hey, sounds good to me. The rest of chapter 2 is dealing with our faith and or our deeds, or lack of one or both. Verse 14 says, What good is it, my brothers and sisters, if someone claims to have faith but has no deeds? Can such a faith save him? That's a good question. And at the same time, Luke in Acts 2.21 says, Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Now, all that takes is faith. You don't have to do any deeds, okay, because we're told that we can't earn it. And it's not because we're good people, okay? We get the salvation because of our faith. But I think James is going deeper than that. We need to read on in verses 15 to 17. James says, Suppose a brother or sister is without clothes and daily food. If one of you says to them, Go in peace, keep warm and well fed, but does nothing about their physical needs, what good is it? In the same way, faith by itself is not accompanied by act that is not accompanied by action is dead. Now John took a different look at this in 1 John 3:17. He says, "If anyone has material possessions and sees a brother or sister in need but has no pity on them, how can the love of God be in that person?" Okay, James is talking about faith. John is talking about love. Hey, do those pretty much go hand in hand, don't they? Well, most of us don't have to look very far at all to find someone in need. And when we find them, what are you and I going to do about it? You know, we can't help everyone that has a need. You know, every day we're getting something in the mail, you know, of you know, this cause or that cause or whatever, and you watch TV, and, you know, there's a lot of good stuff on there, you know, wounded warriors, tunnels to towers, you know, um, <laughs> I'm not one to get all concerned about the the animal shelters, and, and all. I mean, that's too bad that that's happening, but, you know, my money is going to go towards helping an orphan child before it's going to go to help an orphan dog. So we can't give to everything that touches our hearts. You know, we can say, well, you know, I can't give, but I'm going to pray about that situation. You know, you've probably heard this story before, but it's about this young girl that was walking on a beach, and suddenly she came across thousands of stranded starfish each of them fighting for their lives in the beating sun with seagulls and sand crabs nipping at their poor little bodies. The little girl gently picked up one and carried it back to the safety of the ocean. After some time of doing this, a man appeared from a distance. He looked at all the starfish, and then he asked the little girl, Why are you doing this? Look at this beach. There are way too many. There's no way you can save them all. With a starfish in her hands, a little girl looked up at the man, smiled, and said, 
Well, it makes a difference to this one. You know, we can make a difference or make a big difference in the one person's world or one family's world. We can't change everything in the world. We can't meet all of the needs that there are in the world. Now, there's only a few times when Jesus healed more than one person at a time. Okay, remember there was the 10 lepers, there's two blind men, and there was a few others. When he, he could, he could have saved many, just all at once. Now, think about when Jesus fed the 5,000 or the 4,000 men and all of their wives and children. And also, you know, we're talking about 10, 15, 20,000 people. And I'm sure there was many there that needed healing. Okay, they weren't there just to listen to, to Jesus preach. And so Jesus could have said, everyone here that is sick, everyone here that's demon-possessed, any of you that may be crippled in any way, I hereby heal you. Okay, Jesus could have done that, but he knew we couldn't do that. And he's trying to set an example for us. Sometimes we think if we can't make a big difference, it's just not worth the effort. Beginning in verse 18. But someone will say, you have faith, I have deeds. Show me your faith without deeds, and I will show you my faith by my deeds. You believe that there is one God. Good. Even the demons believe that and shudder. You foolish person. Do you want evidence that faith without deeds is useless? It's kind of like the chicken or the egg. Okay? And for believers, that's easily answered. Okay? God made the animals and said, go and reproduce. So he didn't send down some egg or make an egg out of nothing or speak an, an eggs into existence that finally became hatched. Okay? But I believe it has to be faith first. Why? Well, because faith should guide you to deeds. Seeing the life of Christ and the example that he set for us. If you're in a church that emphasizes doing deeds and doing missions, whether it's locally or globally, where deeds I know that there's a lot of good people that do a lot of good deeds. Okay, there's people that work on, you know, like the Meals on Wheels, people that volunteer at um, pregnancy centers. There's men and women that are scout leaders and coach, you know, t-ball or football or whatever it might be. There's some uh, people that, men and women, that go in and maybe volunteer one day a week to go in the classroom and help out or to be a mentor to a child that's maybe struggling somehow. Okay, but these things maybe aren't going to lead them to faith. Okay, they're doing some great deeds, but that doesn't mean that it's going to lead them to faith. So the Lord's looking for those who have both faith and deeds not making one more important than the other.
but showing how one should bring the other. I think James points this out really well in verses 21 through 24 where he asks this question to start out with. Was not our father Abraham considered righteous for what he did when he offered his son Isaac on the altar? You see that his faith and actions were working together, and his faith was made complete by what he did. And the scripture was fulfilled that says, Abraham believed God, and it was credited to him as righteousness, and he was called God's friend. You see that a person who is considered righteous by what they do, not by faith alone. Okay, his faith was made complete by what he did. It's no different for you and me. Okay, same thing. I like how James finishes this chapter. Verses 25 and 26. When he says, in the same way, Was not even Rahab the prostitute considered righteous for what she did when she gave lodging to the two spies and sent them off in a different direction? As the body without the spirit is dead, so faith without deeds is dead. Wow. In just a few verses, it goes from Abraham, the father of the Jews, being righteous, to Rahab, the prostitute, being called righteous. What does that show you and me? That God can use the deeds of anyone. I know I need to work on my deeds and my faith as well. But I want to use a song that's maybe not familiar to you and see if if you get it, I guess. Uh, I'm trying to get it up here. Hang with me. Okay, the name of the song in English is Lord, You Have Come to the Lakeshore. Okay, I'm not going to try and pronounce it in Spanish, but the the verses, there's four verses, go like this. Lord, you have come to the lakeshore, looking neither for wealthy nor wise ones. You only ask me to follow humbly. O Lord, with your eyes have you, you have seen me. And, excuse me, and while, um, okay, second verse, all right, I'm sorry about that. You know so well my possessions, my boat carries no gold or no weapons. You will find there my nets and my labor. O Lord, with your eyes you have searched me, and while smiling has spoken my name, my boat's left on the shoreline behind me. By, oh, come on here. Uh, You know you need my hands full of caring through my labors to give others rest and constant love that keeps unloving. The fourth verse, you who have fished other oceans, ever longed for by souls who are waiting, my loving friend, as thus you call me, 
O Lord, with your eyes you have searched me, and while smiling have spoken my name. While my, now my boat's left on the lakeshore behind me. The Lord is looking for those who have both faith and deeds. And so we need to remember that. Okay, One doesn't cancel out the other. One isn't more important than the other. They're both needed to accomplish what the Lord wants to accomplish in his world. Let's pray. Father, I just give you thanks that you know me and you love me just like I am. You love me when I'm doing right and you don't love me any less when I'm doing wrong. That there's never been a time in my life or will be a time in my life when you've loved me more or less. That we're told that you knew us in our mother's womb when we were being knit together and you loved us at that time. So Father, help us to to do what you've called us to do, to go where you've called us to go, and to, to be there for those people that need us. And Father, help us to, to realize that, that it takes our faith to bring us to you, and that it takes our deeds to make us more precious to you, to make us righteous to you. And Lord, I lift up anyone that may be listening that doesn't know you, does not have a relationship with you, and they've been looking in all the wrong places and found all the wrong things. But they know that they need something more. So, Father, let them know that what they need is a relationship through your Son, Jesus Christ. Because in John fourteen six, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. He didn't say, I am a way or you know, one of many ways. He said, I am the way. Father, let them know that they need to pray like this. Dear Lord, thank you for loving me. Thank you for forgiving me. And Lord, I, I pray that you will draw me close. You will show me in your word what you need me to do, who you need me to be. In Jesus' name, amen.